Chapter Two, Part One of Bill the Conqueror by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bill undertakes a mission. William Paradine West sat in the middle of the road at that busy spot where Forty Second Street joins Fifth Avenue. Always crowded, this center of New York appeared now to be even more congested than usual. On every side, as far as the eye could reach, vast hordes of people with peculiar faces passed and repassed, and as they went, jeered at Bill unfeelingly. A policeman, chewing gum, surveyed him with quiet dislike, offended, doubtless, for police are prudish in these matters, by the fact that he was barefooted and clad only in a suit of mesh-knit underwear. Somewhere close at hand, a steam-riveter was at work, making a noise singularly afflicting to the nerves. How Bill had come to be in this conspicuous and embarrassing position, he was not precisely clear. He could recall in a vague way, riding a motor-bicycle across a wide prairie, and subsequently being chased by leopards through a forest. But after that there occurred a gap in his memory. Still, here he was, and it now became apparent to him that the disadvantages attached to his predicament were even more marked than he had at first supposed. On top of his head somebody had placed one of those iron spikes which road-menders use in breaking up asphalt, and two men with large hammers were hitting this with a rhythmical vigor, each blow causing a jarring pain to run through his entire body. The steam-riveter, which had stopped for a moment, began its hideous din once more. Bill felt ill-used and miserable. It was not so much the pain that distressed him, acute though this was, nor the fact that the men with the hammers were respectively his uncle Cooley, on whose bounty he had been subsisting for years, and Judson Coker, his best friend, hand in hand with whom he had passed through both school and college. All this he could have endured with fortitude as part of the ordinary give-and-take of life. The thing that cut him to the quick was the discovery that the extraordinarily beautiful girl who held the spike in position, and did it, what is more, with a radiant smile, as if she thoroughly enjoyed it, was Judson Coker's sister, Alice. That really was bitter. That hurt. He worshipped that girl with a love not only volcanic, but steadfast. Since their first meeting, nearly a year ago, he had been circling coyly about her, trying to muster up courage enough to lay at her feet a strong man's honest devotion. He had given her flowers, chocolates, and on her birthday a beaded bag, and here she was jabbing spikes into his head. Women are like that. The noise of the riveter rose to a demoniacal crescendo. So insistent did it become that Bill, after stirring uneasily on his pillow, finally opened his eyes, and having blinked at the sunlight pouring in through the window, became aware that another day had begun, and that the telephone at his bedside was ringing. At the same moment the door opened, and Ridgway, his capable manservant, entered. "'I think I heard the telephone, sir.' said Ridgway. Uh, so did I, said Bill wanly. 
the mists of sleep had rolled away and returning consciousness was revealing the fact that he felt extremely unwell his head had swollen unwholesomely to about twice its normal size and shooting pains shuddered through it his mouth was full of some unpleasant flannel substance which proved on investigation to be his tongue memory awoke it all came back to him now last night judson coker had given a party ridgeway had removed the receiver are you there yes his voice was a well-modulated coo the young master's return home at a little after four in the morning had not passed unnoticed by ridgeway and he knew instinctively that soft speech would be appreciated yes i will give mr west your message he turned to bill and cooed anew like a cushat dove calling to its mate in spring roberts mr cooley paradine's butler on the telephone sir he requests me to inform you that mr paradine returned from his travels yesterday and is very urgent that you should visit him this afternoon bill was in but poor shape for paying calls however uncle cooley's invitations had the quality of royal commands you cannot accept a large quarterly allowance from a man and decline to see him when desired down at westbury he asked at westbury sir yes tell him i'll be there very good sir ridgeway relayed this information to the waiting roberts and replaced the receiver shall i prepare your breakfast sir bill considered the point i suppose so he said at length without enthusiasm breakfast was never a popular meal with those who had enjoyed overnight the hospitality of judson coker something pretty light exactly sir said ridgeway understandingly and slid from the presence bill lay on his back staring at the ceiling his head seemed more grossly enlarged than ever he wished he had told ridgeway to go out and stop those birds singing in the trees of central park across the road voluble insufferably hearty english sparrows they were the sort of birds that in a properly run city would be put down by law but it was too much effort to do anything about it now everything was too much effort except just to lie here very quietly with one's eyes on the ceiling he fell to meditation and was still meditating when a voice spoke in his ear it was a nasty rasping voice not soft and gentle like ridgeway's and he recognized it immediately as that of conscience they had had arguments before well said conscience well said bill defensively up a bit late last night eh a little i thought as much i was at a party at judson coker's said bill i had promised to go so i had to a man must keep his word a man need not lower himself to the level of the beasts of the field said conscience coldly it begins to look to me as if you were something of a young waster it was an offensive remark 
but in his melancholy morning mood bill found himself unable to combat it he was in the frame of mind when men search their hearts and plunge into sudden reformations i should think you'd have more self-respect and a rudimentary sense of decency proceeded conscience you love alice coker don't you very well then a man who loves that noble girl ought to consider himself almost in the light of a priest or something but do you not by a jugful lost to all sense of shame is the way i'd put it this also struck bill as true i've had my eye on you young man for a long time and i've about got you sized up what's the matter with you among other things is that you're a worm a loafer a sponger and a shiftless backboneless disgrace to civilization you wasted your time at harvard yes i am perfectly aware that you were in the football team i'm not saying you're not a healthy and muscular young animal what i'm complaining about is your soul you're simply not among those present when it comes to soul and the soul is what brings home the bacon as i was saying you didn't do a stroke of work at harvard and ever since you came out of college you've been hanging around new york absolutely idle living on your uncle cooley it's no good to say that he can give you this allowance of yours without feeling it that's not the point i know perfectly well that he owns the paradine pulp and paper company and is a millionaire what i am driving at is that you're degrading yourself by sponging on him you're not a bit better than your uncle jasper here i say protested bill he had been prepared for a good deal but this was overdoing it not one bit better than your uncle jasper and your cousin evelyn and all the rest of the family leeches insisted conscience firmly bloodsuckers all of you uncle cooley is the man with the money and the entire family you included has been bleeding him for years bill's spirit was broken what shall i do about it he asked humbly do why bustle about and earn a living for yourself get up you wastrel and show there's something in you go to your uncle and tell him you want to work you're twenty-six and haven't started yet do you intend to loaf through the whole of your life like this bill blinked at the ceiling conscience's exordium had wrought powerfully upon him that stuff about trying to be worthy of alice coker that touched the spot but what really stung was the suggestion that he was on a par with uncle jasper and cousin evelyn that was a wicked punch that most certainly wanted looking into in all the world the persons he most despised were these relatives of his who loafed around living on uncle cooley incredible he would have said that he the winning and debonair bill west could actually be classed with these 
ghastly excrescences and yet the position of affairs in the paradine family was one that is frequently met with in this world coolie paradine by means of a toilsome youth and a strenuous middle age had amassed a large amount of money and now all his poor relations had gathered round to help him spend it his brother otis had a real estate business that required frequent subsidies his brother-in-law jasper daly was an inventor whose only successful inventions were the varied methods he discovered of borrowing money his niece evelyn had married a man who was always starting new literary reviews they were not people who agreed together on many subjects but on this one point of electing cooley to the post of family paymaster they had been unanimous for some years now uncle cooley had been showing in the matter of parting with money a pleasingly docile spirit for a man whose quickness of temper had at one time been a family byword something had happened to mr paradine recently purging the old adam out of him and his relatives were inclined to think that what had brought about the change was the hobby of collecting old books which had gripped him in his sixtieth year until he had started book collecting cooley paradine had been a little too formidable and uncertain for comfort he had chafed at the constant calls made on his purse once he had thrown a small chair at jasper daly though unfortunately with a poor aim but now everything was splendid he just mooned about his library at westbury and signed cheques in that delightful absent-minded way which we like to see in our rich relatives this was the man who had supported bill west through college days and up to the moment when he lay in bed this morning tortured by conscience yes bill decided conscience had been right of course he was not really as bad as uncle jasper and cousin evelyn but he could see now that he had allowed himself to drift into an ambiguous position and one that might easily lead people who did not know what a fine fellow he was to form mistaken judgments most assuredly he must go to uncle cooley and announce his readiness to accept a job of work he had never felt anything of an urge towards the pulping of paper but in this new mood engendered by remorse he rather fancied that there must be more pleasure to be derived from it than the casual spectator would imagine he had no notion how one pulped paper nor what one did with it when pulped but these were small technical details which he would doubtless master during the first week the main thing was to get started filled with resolution bill heaved himself up with a groan and made for the bathroom there is magic in a cold shower in combination with youth few ills of the flesh can stand against it drying his glowing body five minutes later bill though still tender about the head and apt to leap at sudden noises felt on the whole a new man he thrilled with courage and determination as he toweled his back he reviewed the program before him 
he would be content with something quite modest at first of course something that would just enable him to look round and get a grasp on things this achieved he would begin to make his presence felt toiling with the banked-up energy of one who had never done a hand's turn in his life he would soar higher and higher until eventually he got control of the entire outfit it was about time that uncle cooley had a real live wire looking after the pulp and paper company's affairs the old boy had been a hustler in his day but for the last few years he had allowed a taste for travel and the fascination of his library to take up too much of his time what the paradine pulp and paper company wanted was new blood and he bill was the man to supply it he dressed and went in to his light breakfast so exalted was he by now that his dreams of the future began definitely to include a lifelong union with alice coker he brushed aside obstacles grandly he felt alert and conquering as he picked up his morning paper he had got his plans so perfectly elaborated that he half expected to find on the front page the headlines society romance young pulp paper king weds beautiful girl interview with mr west instead all that met his eye was the customary society divorce ex-wife's heart balm love tangle ah oh, said bill disgusted and attacked his grapefruit mr judson coker on the telephone sir said ridgeway oozing softly in like some soundless liquid bill walked to the telephone in a cold hard censorious mood it was impossible for him in his reformed condition to think of his friend and host of last night without a puritanical shudder odd he reflected how often the noblest girls had these deplorable brothers bill's standard in the matter of brothers for the goddess of his heart was perhaps a trifle high and it is to be doubted whether a composite of sir galahad good king wenceslaus and st francis of assisi would quite have made the grade judson failed altogether to qualify why last night he recalled judson had behaved for all the world like a licentious clubman in a super film being the life and soul of one of those parties out of which the censor cuts three thousand feet the moment he sees it gaiety of spirit is all very well but there are limits especially for those closely related to the sweetest of her sex and these limits judson coker had exceeded by several parasangs hello said bill he spoke crisply and in a manner to discourage badinage not that judson after last night's celebrations was likely to indulge in airy quips bill was a little surprised indeed that the other should be able at so early an hour as this to speak at all a voice sounded over the wire it was the husky voice of one who has wandered far and long across the hot sands the voice of a man delicately endeavouring to keep the top of his head from coming off that you bill o man yes 
"'So you got home all right?' said the voice in tones of surprised congratulations. Bill resented this reminder of a past now discarded for ever. "'Yes,' he said frigidly. "'What do you want?' An unseen throat cleared itself feebly. <clears throat> "'Just remembered, Bill, old man. Most important thing—' I invited half a dozen of the Follies girls to come on a picnic this afternoon. Well, what about it? I'm relying on you to rally round. Bill frowned, such a frown as St. Anthony might have permitted himself. You are, are you? he said sternly. Then listen to me, you poor fish. Let me tell you that I'm a changed man, and wouldn't be seen dead in a ditch with a Follies girl, and if you'll take my advice, you'll pull up and try to realize that life is stern and earnest and meant for something better than— An odd gasp interrupted this harangue. Gosh, Bill, quavered the voice, I noticed you buzzing around pretty energetically last night— but I'd no notion you would be quite so bad this morning. You must have got the head of a lifetime, absolutely of a lifetime. The voice sank to an earnest whisper. What you want to do, Bill, old man, is to take a couple of never-say dies. That's what I'm going to do. You remember the recipe? One raw egg in half a wine glassful of Worcester sauce, sprinkle liberally with red pepper, add four aspirins and stir put you right in no time and this man was her brother bill shuddered i am feeling perfectly well thank you he said austerely fine then you will come to the picnic after all i will not i wouldn't have dreamed of doing so in any case but as it happens i have a previous engagement I've got to go to my uncle's place at Westbury. He got home yesterday and phoned me this morning. My dear chap, say no more. The voice was cordial and sympathetic. I quite understand. You mean the uncle who unbelts the allowance on the first of every quarter? Of course you must go and see him. I suppose you'll grab the chance of touching him for a bit extra. It must mean you're pretty strong with him if he's so crazy to see you the moment he gets home. If you want to know just what I'm going to do when I see Uncle Cooley, said Bill coldly, I'll tell you, I'm going to ask him for a job. There was an exclamation of annoyance at the other end of the wire. Ah, oh, this darned phone is out of order, complained the voice. You can't hear a thing. It sounded just as if you said something about asking your uncle for a job, said the voice amusedly, tickled by the quaint conceit. That is exactly what I did say. Silence. A job? Yes. Do you mean work? Work. The voice became almost tearful in its agitation. Don't do it, Bill. Don't do it, old man. You don't know what you're talking about. You aren't yourself. It's just having this head that's given you ideas like that. Do take the advice of an old pal and mix up a never-say-die. It never fails. 
guaranteed to make a week-old corpse spring from its beer and enter for the six-day bicycle race. Write the recipe down on a piece of paper so that you won't forget it. One raw egg. Bill hung up the receiver, revolted. He was returning to his breakfast when the telephone bell rang again. Indignant at this pertinacity on the part of his despicable friend, he strode back and spoke with wrathful briskness. "'Well, what do you want now?' "'Oh, Mr. West, is that you?' It was not Judson at all. The voice was a female one, and, hearing it, Bill tottered with indescribable emotion. All female voices sound very much alike over the telephone, but this was one which his heart would never allow him to mistake. It was she, and he, criminal, fool, misguided blackguard that he was, had spoken angrily, ye gods, that even in error he should have addressed her so, that well, that emphasis on the now, it was vile, brutal, fiendish, words poured from him in an apologetic flood miss coker i'm terribly sorry i don't know how to apologize i thought it was somebody else i didn't mean i wouldn't have hoped i wouldn't have i hope you aren't i hope i haven't i i hope you won't mr west said his audience taking advantage of a lull i wonder if you would do me a great favor bill's knees gave at the joints he swayed deliriously. "'Do you a favor?' he breathed fervently. "'You bet I will.' "'It's very important. Can you come and see me?' "'You bet I can. Would you be able to manage it this morning?' "'You bet I would. Thank you so much.' Bill stood for a moment, breathing hard. There was a mist before his eyes she wanted him to do her a favor it was to him that she turned not to toddy von reiter or eustace bailey or any other of those who formed the court of which she was the undisputed queen could he come and see her yes a thousand times yes even if the road to her father's house were lined with fire-breathing dragons he returned to the sitting-room, and, going to the mantelpiece, inspected very carefully and reverently all the photographs of Miss Coker which it contained, eleven in all, painfully and laboriously acquired by the slow process of sneaking them one by one out of Judson's rooms. Alice was a much-photographed girl, and, being devoted to her unworthy brother, kept him well supplied with her pictures the horror of the moment when he had found that lost soul using the latest specimen to cut the pages of a detective novel had never quite left bill End of chapter two part one